0: Good morning, good morning, and welcome to yet another edition of African Dialogue. You are tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa, bringing you news uh, from an African perspective. I'm your host, Kumbar Munjerere, and we are currently on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa. Now, South Africa celebrates the month of April as Freedom Month. Now, this comes after the 1994 first democratic election that saw the governing party, the African National Congress, come into power, taking over from uh, the apartheid government. Now, all over the country, people stood on queues for hours so that they could exercise uh, their right uh, to cast uh, their ballot on uh, that day. So today, we are looking at some of the few ideologies uh, that have uh, resonated from the Freedom Charter. To help us unpack and discuss uh, this further, I'm joined on the line by a panel of uh, experts. We've got uh, Dr. Nsikelelo uh, Breakfast. Uh, he is the lecturer at Stellenbosch University and uh, Patrick Craven, a spokesperson of uh, South African Federation of Trade Union, SAF2. Also joining us is uh, Jodie Williams, uh, Communications and Advocacy Project Officer at uh, the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation. Uh, thank you all uh, for joining us uh, this morning.
2: Thank you for inviting us.
0: All right, let me start with you, Dr. Antikelelo. 24 years of freedom. What does this freedom that we are talking about mean to you, Dr. Ntsikelelo?
1: Well, um, I think, first of all, um, South Africa's uh, democracy is like a mixed bag. You know, we've got positive things and negative things. Positive things in the sense that we've got uh, procedural aspects of um Democracy, like separation of powers, every five years elections are held. We've got strong um, institutions um, that are supporting um, democracy. We've got, you know, a constitution that is recognised as one of the best um, on a global scale. But on the other hand, we are also falling short in terms of some of the substantive issues, uh, namely inequality, poverty, unemployment, um, and so on. But I think what is of paramount importance is to note that uh, there is no perfect um, democracy. All democracies, from time to time, they have ups and downs. Uh, But what is important is to actually, you know, consolidate um, um, democracy by having, you know, citizens who are actively involved in the affairs of um, the state. Um, So so that's that, basically, for me.
0: No perfect democracy, Dr. Antikelelo says. Uh, Patrick Craven, uh, do you agree with that sentiment? Broadly, yes. Obviously, the positives
2: of freedom are the, uh, the right to vote, which you mentioned in your introduction. Uh, the Constitution, which, if not perfect, is certainly a huge advance in that it guaranteed many fundamental human rights, and including for workers the right to organize in trade unions, and to strike. The biggest negative side is that uh, in terms of economic freedom, the freedom from unemployment, from poverty, and from hunger, uh, we've made very little progress. And I think that is the main challenge which we face. In some cases, things have even got worse. Uh, Inequality is actually now higher than before 1994, and still uh, racialized with uh, the biggest concentration of wealth being in the hands of a small elite of still mainly white, mainly male uh, South Africans. And this clearly has to change if we're really to um, have freedom, because freedom doesn't mean much. If you're unemployed, or living on a poverty wage, which isn't enough to feed your family, to educate your children, and to have any uh, kind of uh, holidays, breaks, let alone luxuries, um, which is a rich country we ought to be able to afford, but our wealth is so evenly spread about that um, the poor suffer. And it's not only the individuals, but also in terms of uh, services, education, healthcare, transport, all provide excellent uh, services to the very rich who can afford to pay for all these things, but terrible services for uh, the vast majority of poor who have to suffer slum schools, understaffed uh, hospitals, and uh, overcrowded and dangerous public transport, just to name a few.
0: Now let's go back uh, to that uh, to that momentous day Patrick uh, the 27th of of April 1994 when many uh, South Africans stood in long queues uh, to vote for the first time what was going through your mind when all this was happening
2: It was an unforgettable day it doesn't seem like uh, that uh, long ago because um it, it is etched so much on uh, on people's memory, um, I was not only voting but uh, was working uh, for the ANC in um, trying to make sure everything went smoothly. And uh, in the end, it did, but not without a few scares. We'll never forget there were bombs going off um, during that day, and there were still attempts by the uh, apartheid uh, era um elements who wanted to disrupt those elections so it wasn't an inevitable thing it had to be fought for lots of lives were lost in fighting for it and that's what we must never forget but equally i think we owe it to those who sacrificed their lives that we don't uh, become complacent and think that now everything's fine because we have democracy when we still have all the problems which i was talking about earlier which um many, far too many South Africans make the uh, democratic freedoms uh, superfluous because their whole life is devoted to struggling to survive from day to day.
0: Judy Williams, what was going through your mind in 1994 and what do you make of uh, 24 years of uh, freedom that we, we, we are talking about today?
3: Well, I was um, a very young child. I was born in 1994. I'm what they call the so-called born-free generation. Oh, right. <laughs> um, so, So I don't have a, a firsthand um, sort of experience or memory of that momentous day or moment in South Africa's history, um, but throughout my life, I was always taught in school by my parents, by my family, um, of what that day meant um, to them. Being able to, for the first time, have their say in how um, they were going to be governed in South Africa, and and just the sort of um, sort of joy and and sort of the, the spirit that came with that. So so it's something that we've always been taught, and I think um, and I think a lot of young people in in today um society, we, we still are very sort of thoughtful and remember, still remember that momentous day. And- And at the same time, we are very critical of that day, and and we've grown very critical to to question, you know, the progress that is made from that moment. So yes, that moment happened, and it was a moment that we must always hold very dear and remember and be grateful for, but then at the same time, uh, what have we done um, for the 23 to 24 years after that? Um, So I think that's that's an important question.
0: Now, as a young person, uh, Jodi, what do you think should change in terms of uh, the freedom that we are talking about? Uh, You highlighted some of the challenges that we are still facing, but what do you think needs to change so that young people can also realize the fruits of democracy that we are enjoying today? I
3: think one of the most pertinent issues in South Africa that particularly face young people, I think, would be the issue of education and specifically um, issues of access to education. Um, I think it's no secret that the education system in South Africa is still very much one that is riddled with inequalities, um, and depending who you are and how much privilege and and how much wealth you have, that will depend, or that will then... um, Sort of determine the level of access that you have to education. In South Africa, we are constantly told that education, you know, is the key to success, and that you need education to be able to um, to have a career and pull your of poverty right. So. So, so if we're saying that that is, that is how things are set up in South Africa, then that means that the doors of, of education, of, of, of learning, need to be opened up to the masses and that everyone should then have access to be able to determine their own lives. Um, so that's one of the most crucial issues. I think another issue is the issue of youth unemployment in South Africa. Um, young people are really struggling to, to find jobs. Um, young people, and and when young people do work, walk into jobs or find themselves not being sure. fairly compensated or being exploited. So those are some really, um, really important and often systemic issues that are really making young people question whether or not we are truly free. Twenty four years later.
0: All right, let, let me bring you in here, Dr. Ntsikelelo. Now, South Africa is the most unequal country in the world at uh, the moment. Uh, we also hear, you know, the young person who is part of the panel saying that uh, the issue of unemployment is uh, still problematic 24 years uh, down the line since that uh, momentous day in uh, 1994. Now, the Constitutional Court has also been having its hands full in uh, trying to inf- force socio-economic rights that came with uh, this constitution that we are celebrating but it seems a lot uh, still needs to be done to make sure that these rights are fully realized is the problem with the policies of the governing party or is it something deeper than that uh, uh, dr nsikilelo
1: well first of all i think you know uh, one of the mistakes of the ruling party was to adopt the neoliberal macroeconomic policy, namely gear, I think it, it was a bad model of um, development because it never achieved its intended um, objectives in terms of reducing poverty, reducing inequality, um, and so on. Also, what is of paramount importance, again, is to remember that when the ANC came into power in 1994, in my opinion, it never had an economic policy. You know, when you look at uh, the resolutions that were made uh, by the ANC in 1969 uh, at the Morogoro Conference and also in 1985 in Zambia at um, Kwande, there was no macroeconomic policy um, adopted there. Also, again, we need to remember that our democracy, it came into the picture, or our democracy rose into prominence via a political settlement. So there were a lot of... compromises that um, were made. So that's why basically we are where we are um, at the moment. And I think the way things are at the moment is not the way um, things um, should be. We've seen a lot of protests and so on. And, and, And I think government needs to commit itself in terms of addressing the issue of poverty, unemployment, and inequality, because those are not just social problems, but those are security threats.
0: Patrick Craven was a gear the start of our socio economic problems Well, it wasn't the
2: start obviously we inherited a fundamentally uh, unequal society from the days of apartheid but it certainly um, took it a step much further because it was uh, in effect the adoption of a policy in line with um, what was called the Washington consensus Um, the American government, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, all took this view then that the best way to grow economies was to allow uh, the freest possible space for uh, business to operate uh, unfettered by uh, any kind of laws to govern them. And it's been proved to be a disaster for the majority. A few people have become rich, incredibly rich, I mean, richer than ever before in terms of uh, the the share of the wealth they're getting. Um, But the theory was that uh, some of that wealth would trickle down to the poor. But the evidence is just the opposite, that um, it hasn't. And this is particularly true in South Africa. It's probably worse than anywhere else in the world in that the rich have got incredibly rich um, and the poor are still trapped in poverty. Um, the, The debate... Got currently going on about the minimum wage, I think, illustrates this, that uh, the government is uh, prepared to accept, and even some of the other trade union federations have accept, that people can be expected to live on 20 round an hour. I mean, that is, in our view, totally unacceptable. So, and it's interesting that uh, on Freedom Day itself, President Yamaposa actually conceded that 20 round an hour was not a living wage, And yet, someone who is a multi-billionaire, let's not forget, was quite uh, prepared to accept that uh, workers can live on that and use the argument that uh, many employers at the moment pay even less than 20 rands an hour, which is an absolute disgrace and in no way justifies the government legitimizing and saying it's okay for people to live on a wage which they themselves admit is not a living wage. Sure. So in that respect, yes, Gear laid the foundations. It was continued with the National Development Plan, which so many people in business think is a wonderful uh, guideline for the future. We, we uh, disagree. We think it actually enshrines this idea that if somehow you let business free to operate without uh, well, minimum uh, restrictions, then... Um, everything will turn out all right for everybody. Particularly what I think it uh, overlooks is that um, wealth in this country has become very monopolized. The big companies are not operating in their free markets. They're uh, in collusion with each other. We've seen now that many of them are involved in corruption, price fixing, and all sorts of other irregularities. And um, it's a myth to think that there's somehow a free market in which all South Africans have the equal opportunity to uh, get rich. It's uh, just the opposite. The vast majority get completely excluded.
0: All right, uh, let's uh, take a quick break. When we return, we will continue with our conversation. Let
3: us all unite and celebrate together.
1: It is you, the people, who are our true heroes. This is one of the most important moments in the life of our country. I stand before you filled with deep pride and joy, pride in the ordinary humble people of this country. You have shown such a calm, patient determination to reclaim this country as your own
0: from the rooftops free at last. This year, 2018, marks hundred years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Rolihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa celebrating a hundred years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Welcome back. You are listening to the African Dialogue here on Channel Africa and today we are talking about the freedom gains that South Africa has made since 1994. Let me bring you in here Dr. Nsikelelo. Now economic freedom in our lifetime this has been the rallying point of uh, the economic freedom fighters. Uh, True freedom is uh, actually meaningless unless it comes with economic inclusion and that includes owning property with full title deeds but we are not there yet isn't it dr ntsikelelo because according to the land audit report Black South Africans uh, um, you know, only directly own 1.2% of uh, the country's rural land and 7% of uh, formerly registered property in towns and cities, even though they may constitute 79% of uh, their population. How is economic freedom going to happen, uh, Dr. Nsikelelo, if uh, large swathes of land still belong to private hands? Well, um,
1: land is money, land is... Um the economy. I think the worst part of it is that um, the relationship uh, between the have and the have not, the relationship between the ruling class and um, the working class is um, a relationship of power. I mean, the majority of black people are part of the working class and they are the ones who are selling their labor to the owners of um, the means of um, production. And the people who are owning the means of um, production are still white. Um, white people, whether you like it or not, they they own almost, if not all, the sectors of um, the economy. So government has to do something in terms of um, tempering with those power um, relations in terms of the structure of um, the economy by not taking a back seat, by, by um, intervening, basically, in doing that, so that black people can also participate um in the um, economy i think policies like a triple b e or b e i think they're saying um dismally in terms of uh, the denationalization of um the economy
0: jody williams um, what is your understanding of uh, this uh, situation H- how is economic freedom uh, going to happen in our lifetime if uh, large suites of land still belong to private hands do you think
3: um, well, I think that if we're talking economic freedom, I think perhaps the land is a is a good place to start. Um, South Africa has a long history of land disposition, and I think we all know the history of how it is that we got here, and how it is that um, of our of the country's land still um, is in the hands of an elite few, and 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 how that is an injustice. Um, and there's no, I think. Sort of argument around that. I think the question rather should be how um, how we plan on redistributing land fairly, so that all people can share in the land, and all people can find dignity and humanity within owning the land and and, 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 and using the land in such a way um, that speaks to to human dignity and and and, and the restoration of that. Um, so I think I think the the, the question I think going forward is how are we going to use whatever frameworks we have, um, how are we going to transcend the limitations within those frameworks, because even in the Constitution itself, which I know is one that is always spoken of in such high regard, right, in the Constitution itself there are certain limitations with regards to um, land redistribution, and, and there are many conversations and debates happening in that in that um, side of the conversation as well. So I think going forward, we'll we'll need to find a way to collectively transcend those limitations
0: show. Sure. Now, let me bring you in here, Patrick Craven. Um, expropriation of land without competition, the subject matter that provokes extreme emotions on both blacks and whites. In fact, the leader of the Democratic Alliance, Musi Maiman, has said that expropriating land so that the state can own it and lease it out to the poor won't empower any one living in your house or on your farm as a tenant of the state is just another way to keep people uh, trapped in poverty do you agree uh, Patrick yes
2: Safter is firmly committed to uh, the uh, return of stolen land to uh, the rightful owners and it should be without compensation I don't know why this is so controversial given that uh, it's already the law of the land under the Constitution that the assets forfeiture unit can uh, confiscate assets which have been uh, illegally acquired. And certainly they don't uh, have to ask, uh, have to give compensation to the people. And so, yes, but I think the problem is that there's two sides to this. There are individual claims for individual bits of land which must be honored and they, uh, uh, they, that must be restored. But the danger is that a huge number, the vast majority, in fact, will not gain any real benefit from that because they don't have any particular claim to a particular piece of land. And I think that's the point that the EFF are getting at, that for many South Africans, when they talk about the return of the land, they don't mean a little plot of land here or there, or even a big plot, but they're using land in the sense of, of the country that our country was stolen by uh, colonizers and by um, the apartheid uh, racist elite. And uh, so it's part and parcel of a much broader demand for the redistribution of the wealth, which is somehow symbolized by the land. Of course, not exclusively, because clearly wealth is also tied up in the mines, in the, uh, the factories, the farms, and all the other wealth of South Africa. And so what really it comes down to is a demand for the transfer of wealth, not just land, but the country as a whole, sure. to the people, which is why um, both the EFF and to support the call for nationalization of the, the land, the banks, the big uh, the mines, and the big industrial monopolies, which uh, are at the heart of the problems which confront the majority of the people.
0: Dr. Nsikelelo, how do we expropriate the land without disenfranchising the poor even further?
1: <laughs> Look, I don't think that there is a... <laughs> I don't think that there is a, a silver you know, um, bullet um, for this because uh, this phenomenon of land has also a possibility of uh, creating a scope for conflict if it is not addressed properly. We've seen people going around the world, spreading lies that uh, the government is on a mission uh, to take away land from white people or there's a white genocide. So I think, first of all, we need to have a, a conversation so that, you know, uh, people can actually you know, articulate their views on, on, on how government can go about Because democracy, after all, is governed the people by the people and for so the people.
0: Let me bring you in here, Jody Williams, as a young person. Uh, I just want to get your view uh, because uh, there are others who are saying that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has uh, actually failed in terms of addressing some of the uh, pertinent issues uh, that were at play during apartheid. What do you think? Do you think uh, we should revisit the Truth and Commission uh, route in order to address some of the challenges? Uh, that we, we are facing at the moment? Uh,
3: well, to be perfectly honest, I think the uh, Reconciliation Commission that speaks to the very economic uh, dispensation and that speaks to the transfer of wealth and economic power, um, as my fellow panelists mentioned earlier, I think that could be a very valuable thing that we could revisit. Uh, perhaps we could learn from the TRC that happened in the 90s, and learn from its grey areas, learn from its fault lines because there were some fault lines, there were some major oversights, um, and 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 we can we can learn from that model, and we can maybe perhaps a different way and a different um, way for us to seek truth, but then also to implement measures and policies. Um, and mandates that speak to that transfer of power, as previously mentioned. So I think in terms of an economic TRC, there's definite value in that, that we can find out the truth, see what the numbers are saying, what has happened, has there been any progress um, in the last 24 years, and then perhaps that will give us a good starting block as to make certain decisions going forward.
0: Uh, Patrick Craven, do we need an Economic uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission?
2: Well, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I would be skeptical as to whether it would necessarily get to the uh, heart of the problem because it would depend so much on what its terms of reference were. Um, what, um, what's it looking for? <clears throat> if it's made up of people who predominantly support the status quo, the present uh, uh, monopoly capitalist system, it will be uh, totally uh, useless. And even if it's evenly split, between those and the uh, people like uh, who want to see fundamental changes the danger is it will just deadlock it will say well there are two completely different views as to what we need to do to uh, bring about economic truth and reconciliation and we'll leave the problems unsolved I think we have to recognize and this is where as a society it's difficult that there are people who are responsible uh, as we would put it in Marxist terms, classes that are responsible for the crisis we're in and, crisis, and other classes which are the victims of the uh, the crisis we're in. And uh, it's going to be very, very difficult to reach a consensus, and we would say impossible, because uh, these are fundamentally irreconcilable differences. Um, the uh, The people who own the wealth will always fight to keep it, Uh, maybe agree to share a little bit more here and there, but not to uh, get rid of a fundamental inequality and injustice of a society in which wealth is produced from the labor of workers, but uh, the majority of that wealth then falls into the hands of the people who employ those workers and not the workers themselves, either individually or collectively as citizens of the country uh, in terms of better public services. So Yes, we wouldn't oppose it, but we'd be very, I think, sceptical. Because even with the previous Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it's emerging since then that there are many, many uh, apartheid-era crimes which weren't fully exposed, and there are only some of them only now starting to uh, be unearthed by investigative journalists. And I think that would be even more true of uh, a commission dealing with economic exploitation because there would be so many ways in which it could be hidden and uh, concealed um, so that's basically i think what we would say
0: on that sure sure all right uh, we are going to take another quick break and when we re- return we will continue with our conversation
2: channel africa has good news for you we have extended our reach if you have an ipad or iphone Download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa,
0: bringing you the African perspective. Welcome back. You are listening to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa and today we are talking about the freedom gains that South Africa has made since 1994. Let me come back to you Dr. Ntikelelo. Last week we saw South to take to the streets to fight for a living and you know not a minimum wage. How significant was that especially in the month that we are marking 24 years on for freedom dr. Ntikelello?
1: well the the relationship between the employer and the employee is always you know a, a relationship of power it's always a, a relationship uh, that has ups and downs so we cannot you know expect uh, staff to to be cozy with um, the employer Um, So I think it's good that uh, it is basically a federation that is different from um, Cosato because Cosato by other people has been seen to be a conveyor belt, basically, a sweetheart, um, so to speak, uh, of the ruling party. Uh, Sometimes it is not radical enough in terms of uh, taking the struggle of the working class forward. So I think Safto is a a new key, basically, um, on the block. Uh, it is there, you know, to articulate the interest of the working class coherently and um, cogently. But I think also, on the other hand, you know, uh, the, the the march that was rolled out by SAFTU was also a way, basically, a, a political statement, basically, that uh, SAFTU is, is a force um, to be reckoned with. Um, I don't think that it was only about, you know, the issue that they were talking about, the issue um, in question, but I think also they were trying to to flex, basically, um, their political um, muscle um, as well in terms of posing a threat um, to Korsaki and also posing a threat um, to the ruling party, um, basically.
0: Patrick, uh, do you agree how significant was that uh, the march uh, on Wednesday last week in terms of uh, addressing the issue of inequality I- in the country?
2: I think it was extremely significant. Um, it was not just a march. There were several marches in big cities, but even more important, uh, there was a, a general strike, which obviously didn't involve everybody, but clearly had uh, a very, very big response, and not just in the places you might expect in the industrial areas around the big cities where there was an, an excellent response but one of the uh, the best demonstrations was by farm workers in the uh, in the wine lands of the western cape where huge numbers converged despite the fact that they are spread out over a very wide area and they are just the sort of workers that Safti wants to uh, bring into the struggle because they suffer most they're not even going to get the 2,200 an hour, by the way. they're only going to get 18, um, reasons which are completely unacceptable that they should be discriminated against when they are so vital to our economic survival, because they produce the country's food. Um, but good though it was, it can only be the first step in a long, long campaign to uh, bring about fundamental change. And the reason why, also why it's so important. Uh, which was summed up in uh, as a cartoon which showed the Saftu bus uh, leading a huge crowd of thousands of people overtaking the kasatu bus when there was nobody behind the bus and the driver was asleep at the wheel. The uh, trade union movement, until Saftu came on the scene, was in decline. It was um, losing members. It was... Uh, to a particular Kisatu too tied up with its alliance with the ANC, which meant they weren't prepared to rock the boat in a way that might uh, uh, weaken the government and so consequently they were prepared to reach an agreement with government and business on a wage which as I mentioned earlier now even the Kaatu itself and the president himself have said well is not an, a living wage, but it's the best we could get. Well, it's one thing for workers to have to accept a poverty wage because it's the best they can get. But that's entirely different from a government and a trade union federation accepting that that uh, is the best we can get Um, in uh, such a wealthy society in which the employers earn so much more than what they're prepared to uh, accept the workers can live on
0: jody williams what came to your mind last week wednesday when we saw tens of thousands of workers attacking to the streets um, protesting against this proposed national minimum wage what came to your mind
3: well the first thing that came to my mind was that it's definitely about time i think it's, it's quite a shame that Um, Up until now, 24 years later, we've been unable, as a society, as a collective, to ensure that the basic uh, minimum wage is that of a dignified minimum wage, is that of a livable uh, minimum wage. Um, So I definitely think that it's a step in the right direction, as previously mentioned. It's part of a bigger conversation around how... Justice becomes a reality. How we can ensure that socio economic justice becomes um, the order of the day? That the workers, the working class, um, is ensured the uh, protection of, of their human rights and 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 that they um, you know work in, in safe and livable um, working conditions and that they aren't exploited in the manner that they are currently being exploited in in this. In this um, economic system that we currently live under. Um, So it is a step in the right direction, I think. I agree with the previous speaker that it is going to be a long road and, and we all need to just play our part in whatever space we find ourselves to enhance the conversation, to get
0: people to think differently and critically about the topic. Uh, Okay, Dr. Ntsikelelo, I'm going to give you the parting shot here. Uh, Others are saying that nationalizing of banks, mines and industries uh, would be the solution in terms of addressing the issue of economic freedom. Just briefly, do you agree with this um, sentiment?
1: Partly yes and partly no, because one of the, the problems at play, basically, with regard to the government of the day is basically some of the institutional factors that are embedded within the state um, machinery. Some of the public officials, they do not espouse the notion of putting people first. Also, some of the, the politicians, they lack a political will in terms of driving uh, development or in terms of promoting um, development. So you can roll out uh, nationalization, but if you don't deal with those institutional sectors, I think you are doomed um, to fail. So there is a need for an institutional change. The the attitudes of public uh, officials alongside politicians, they have to change.
0: All right. Uh, all right. Unfortunately, that's all we had time for. Thank you all for having participated on the program today. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, all right. Uh, tune in again uh, to Channel Africa to catch another informative uh, instalment of uh, African uh, Dialogue. And remember that tomorrow uh we will be looking at uh, child labour as part of International Labour Day commemoration. So please uh, uh, tune in today. Remember, uh, uh, tune in tomorrow rather. African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at eleven hundred hours Central African Time. You are welcome to. To interact with us via twitter at channel africa or facebook or you can simply sms your views to 082 double three two five nine oh five well until next time goodbye